Hello, everybody. Welcome to Blake's Book Club. We're doing it. That's it. It is happening. It is Midnight Sun. It is something that I cannot believe that I'm doing. Um, going back to the world of the Cullens and Bella Swan and Forks, Washington. Oh, my goodness gracious. It is here. Um, funny story. I remember when... The books came out, and I remember very shortly after, the movie was being made. And I remember seeing all of... Actually, here here is a, a, a specific truth. I remember going to see The Dark Knight in Providence, Rhode Island. And I remember seeing the advertisements for this thing called Twilight. Um, and, you know, it was Robert Pattinson's face on it and the whole thing. And I remember thinking, what the hell is this? Like, what is this? <laughs> uh, not knowing, of course, that it would be something my wife uh, would get me into, which is something that she always does. And, of course, we dove headfirst into uh, the world of Twilight. Um, and she was so interested in it because uh, I remember her saying that the way that Stephanie Meyer writes butterflies was something that she just fell in love with. And it's something, too, that it intrigued me when my wife told me that because she was reading the books before I did. So then, of course, she was reading all the books, and one day she came home. Uh, oh, I came home from work or something, and she was sitting in bed crying, sobbing, saying, Blake, you're, gonna never, you're never going to leave me, right? You're never going to leave me. Just in the woods. <laughs> and of course, she was reading the second book of the Twilight Saga. Uh, as you all know, Bella leaves. Um, sorry, Edward leaves Bella. And my wife took this very seriously. <laughs> and uh, asked me if I would ever leave her. And of course, I said no. And here we are, 10 years later. Uh, well, actually, uh, 11 years from that point uh from that from that point and uh we're still together and we just celebrated our 10th anniversary uh wedding anniversary yesterday so uh that's awesome um but yes we are here reading midnight sun this is the first official entry into blake's book club for midnight sun i did not anticipate doing this but when so many people said that they were interested in Midnight Sun and the version of Blake's Book Club for it, I said, you know, we got to do it. We, we got to read it. And um, I think Mary will be joining me a lot more uh, in this um, in this book club than in previous book clubs because she's just so damn interested. And uh, while she has not yet read the first chapter... Um, because I just got the books today um, and she has not yet read the first chapter because she's working um, and she has uh, a little bit of a meeting going on right now. I'm sure that once her meeting is done, she'll be diving into the first chapter tonight. So that will be that because we're nerds and that's what we do. And we are here to serve you guys because you all make this happen. If not for you, uh, the members at Join the Nerd Clan and OutlanderCastClan.com. None of this is possible. None. Me reading Midnight Sun. I mean, 
yes, I'd be reading Midnight Sun regardless, but I wouldn't be analyzing it the way that um, I am tonight, and you would not be privy to it uh, if not for your support. So before we get into anything, I do want to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you for um, supporting uh, myself and my wife, our family, uh, this company. Uh, without you, we aren't able to do any of it. Never mind Midnight Sun. We wouldn't be able to do Outlander Cast. We wouldn't be able to do the Potterverse. We wouldn't be able to do This Is Us Too. We wouldn't be able to do any of it. We wouldn't have the studio that we have. We wouldn't have um, the, the live videos. We wouldn't have anything if not for you guys. You are the lifeblood that makes this company work. You are the lifeblood that gives my family the life that I think it deserves. You fracking rock. So uh, please consider this as just, this is my honor. Uh, this is uh, this is something that I have to do for you guys because you make my life go. And if this is part of a way I can thank you, then please accept my utmost, most honest, most deep-hearted thank you. Um, and of course, we get to do it in the fun uh, world that Stephanie Meyer created with <laughs> with vampires and uh, talking about killing people, which is awesome, right? Uh, so having said that, let's get into chapter one of Midnight Sun, the first sight. So my, my first thoughts are this. I am... So, uh, man, I cannot believe how comfortable, uh, this world is for me getting back to it. Uh, now it's been, oh geez, many, many years since I read, uh, the last book, uh, Breaking Dawn, which I was not a big fan of, by the way, I was, I, <sighs> I thought, I thought Breaking Dawn was okay, uh, the way that it ended. It was fine. I was really not a fan of the films. Oh my god, the Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2? Nope. Out. Out on those films. I was a big fan of the first three films. But splitting it up between the two uh, was not a smart idea. I understand why they did that, but... Um, no, I'm out on that. Um, but regardless... It's something that, like, I, I I picture, I can see all the characters in my head, and uh, it, th though it has been a, a cultural phenomenon, the Twilight Saga, um, and it was one that I happily took part in, it, it, I thought that I would take more time to get back into the world. I thought that it would take more convincing for me to get back into the world, but I the way that I was reading it and the way that it felt as I was reading it, it felt like getting on a bike. You know, those first few pedals are a little awkward and then all of a sudden you get the hang of it and we're back into it again. And hearing the the names of Emmett and Jasper and Alice and, and all those guys and, and all the people, people like Jessica Stanley and Angela and Mike Newton and oh man, it made me laugh. It made me laugh. Uh, one of the things that's happening, too, is that I'm having a hard time um, keeping it all straight. Uh, meaning, I, I know the future uh, of what is about to happen. And I know, obviously, the, the course of events. 
So I'm trying not to have them color my opinion of what's being written. And I think that this is the approach that I'm going to take with this book is I'm going to take it under the guise of, and it's hard to do this, take it under the guise of this book is a standalone book. It should not be compared to the original series. Now I understand uh, the necessity of comparing it and using it as um, a companion book, as actually Stephanie Meyer puts it uh, in the in her little forward or whatever it is uh, on on the paper jacket. Uh, you know, she says it's a companion book, and it yes, it is. It hel- I, it it helps amplify the world. Uh, it helps amplify her universe, especially as it relates to edward um and even the rest of the family but i kind of want to take this as a work unto its own uh since we already know the story since we already know how what happens and how it transpires what does this book add right what what justifies its existence Yes, we love, we're all here because we love the world, right? Uh, Even if it's a guilty pleasure, of which it is a very guilty pleasure of mine. (laughs) An extraordinarily guilty pleasure. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's like watching, it reminds me of watching like Jersey Shore back in the day, you know, when it was out and you didn't want to say that you were watching it all the time because it was trash, but you were watching it because it was trash and you enjoyed it and you loved it. Yeah, that was me. Um, so the Twilight Saga, while taken very seriously by very a lot of people, and rightfully so, it, it's it's their version of Outlander, let's say. Um, it was a very guilty pleasure of mine at the time. Jeez, when it came out, I was, uh, what, I was 20, when the film came out, I was 25 or 26. Here I am, 37, reading it now. Uh but what does Midnight Sun do to justify its existence? Yes. It's a companion to Twilight. But what does it add? What is the value of it? And I'm happy to say that so far there is value. I mean, even in the first chapter. And... Not only is there value, it is written in a way that it doesn't take your knowledge of the world for granted. It doesn't say, yeah, you already know all this stuff, so we're just going to get to the to the to the meat of it. We're just going to we're just going to plop you in. No, no, Stephanie Meyer does a great job in introducing you back to the characters, introducing you to the relationships and how it all works. It starts with a conversation between Alice and Edward uh, and how it's uh, how they're trying to protect Jasper, who is their brother. And you're getting a very good characterization. If, if not a little on the flat level, you're getting a very basic idea of these characters. You're getting the idea that, um, you know, there's the pretty one who thinks she's amazing. And then there is the one who is very fast and very like flighty, but 
you know, is always looking forward and they have secret powers. And then there's Emmett, who's a meathead. There's Jasper, who's relatively new to this lifestyle that they've apparently chosen, uh, which is to go blood free, you know, like from humans. Um, you, you still don't know what they're doing. They, they, they've mentioned hunting, but you don't under, you don't know what they're hunting per se. Um, you get the idea that their eyes, you know, their eyes are golden brown as opposed to blood red because it's a choice of lifestyle, which you would infer if this is the first book that you're reading, you're, you're inferring that if they're drinking human blood, their eyes are red as opposed to golden brown. Um, and I, the val so you're getting a good characterization of the people that are already involved. You understand their relationships, how they relate to each other. You understand that they're they've been alive for a long time. Edward says that they he's been blood human blood free for seventy years. That uh, he has two medical degrees apparently, uh, which is something that I I don't recall from the original books. Uh, I could be wrong. Again, it's been a long time since I wrote, I read Twilight, the the first book of the saga. But I don't recall that. Um, and since you understand the relationships pretty early on, you see how these people work with each other, how it is um, it's something that they they're in a lifestyle that seems easy. And even Edward says it's something that he's put together and he's perfectly fine with it. And this is how most stories start. Someone who is in a, in a place of stasis. Uh, a stasis that they're content. They're not fully happy. They're not fully engaged. But they're content. They're, they, they're moving on with their life. And it's... Um, it's something that they just coast through. Like I think of, uh, I always go back to Finding Nemo because Finding Nemo is one of the perfect movies. It's, it's almost a perfect movie in every way. Um, I think of Marlon uh, when, you know, after his, you know, after his family dies um, and all he's left with is Nemo who happens to be handicapped uh, in, a, in a certain way. But he's living life, but he's content. He's not happy, but he's content. And then something happens. Of course, Nemo disappears, and he has to go on this, this adventure. But what I'm getting at is this. Edward is content with his life, and he's gone through 70 years of not feeding on humans. He's gone through all different kinds of schools. It's been a very long time since someone has recognized him as a vampire. Um, and, they, and even if they start, even if they like the people that surround him go down that road, the Cullens leave. And you're getting all of this from 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 just his thoughts. Uh, there's very little dialogue in this chapter. Uh, very very little dialogue, and. <laughs> One of the things that I, as I'm reading it, I, it's Stephanie Meyer's use of the exclamation point bothers the hell out of me. And, and I, it's funny because I remember reading it at the time, reading Twilight, and her use of exclamation points pissed me off then too. And because people so often misuse them, and 
Stephanie Meyer is definitely one that misses, misuses it. Uh, she uses it after almost every goddamn sentence. Um, you know, I, and I get it. It's that style of writing. It's supposed to be very expressive and it's supposed to highlight, you know, certain emotions and feelings and, and desires and needs and wants. But man, overuse, total overuse of the exclamation point. But Edward's in a state of stasis. In this stasis, again, he's content until Bella Swan arrives. And the way that we have added value is in Edward's thoughts. Um, and that seems very simple. And it seems very... Um, it's, it seems very pedestrian to say that. And, it's not, and in some ways it is. But what's not pedestrian is the battle that he has with him. It's a very psychological battle. He finds himself struggling between two faces, the face of the monster that's within him and then Carlyle's face. Carlyle, of course, being his adoptive father. It's something, again, in this first chapter that you get privy to. You are immediately... Um, you, you are immediately introduced to this family and all of the relationships with them. And again, when, whenever we're reading, whenever we're watching a television show, it's the relationships that count. So that when Alice says to Edward at the end of this chapter, you'll do the right thing, and that it wasn't a suggestion, it was an order. And Edward is saying, yeah, I'll do the right thing we already get the sense that he is not going to do the right thing and he's going to disappoint Alice and we already feel sorry for, for that relationship. We already, without meeting Carlisle, already feel sorry that Edward is going down a path that he should not be going down. It's an instant hook. It's an instant hook. Will Edward succumb to the monster that has been fighting him for 70 years, but even more so now, will he succumb to the monster and disappoint Carlisle? It's instant stakes. And when you haven't even met Carlisle yet, we haven't even gotten a chance to talk to him, see him, understand what he's about. We just get flashes from Edward about Carlisle's face. And it's funny, it that battle... That battle with Edward and his monster is also a hook. Letting Carlisle down is a hook. Well, no, I'm sorry. It's not a hook. That relationship is what keeps it going. The hook is, will Bet Ed Edward kill Bella? The hook is, this guy's a vampire, and... The, the fancy part of it all, the one, again, that does add value is Edward planning to kill this entire classroom of children. And the fact that it's, it's so well written when, when Stephanie Meyer says they were just collateral damage, all of them. <laughs> it's just collateral damage. I could go up this row within five seconds and kill all of them. 
there'd be a little bit of a screen, there'd be a little bit of a tussle, so I'd have to, I couldn't kill Bella first, so she'd have to wait, and she would have to see what was coming towards her, which is something that he doesn't want to do, but he knows that if he doesn't do it, then her blood will dry out, and she'll be cold, and wouldn't be as good. There's some flashy writing about her blood, and, and how, um, and about how uh, he can't stand her, uh, how, uh, how it makes him feel, obviously, Though, there's some interesting stuff here. There's some interesting stuff in that he already hates her. He hates her for how he makes him feel. And he hates her because he already knows that he has to pay for the sins of his past. And he felt like his mundane life in Forks, the one that he was content with, not fully satisfied, but content he already feels like that mundane content life is his punishment for his sins. Yet here he is with Bella and she is the inciting incident. She is what he considers to be the real punishment now. And he hates her for it and he hates himself for it, which again feeds into this, to this battle of uh, his monster. Uh, this is something that we definitely do not get. And this was the most attractive thing to me in this book. Yes, it's great to, to hear Edward, how he was flirting with Mrs. Cope and how he could you know, hear her thoughts. And she's saying, oh yeah, he's too young. He's too young. He's like, yeah, I could be, I'm older than your grandfather. Great stuff. Um, and it's, it's good to hear how he could say, yeah, I could, I, you know, I, I could slam her head down on the desk and it would be two lives instead of instead of 25. You know, it's an even trade. Uh, that's all good, flashy, fun stuff. But it is the emotional, the emotional through line that we're going to be finding is this battle with, with, within Edward. And as a work unto itself, it makes sense. As a work unto itself, there had, the inciting incident has to not only carry us forward, but it has to carry us forward in an interesting way. And you can already see that he's trying to avoid it. He's trying to get out of class. He's trying to walk away. He's, he, he's moving. He's, he's becoming sloppy to avoid Bella. He's already moving. He, like he moves literally too quickly to get out. He drives 200 miles an hour to get away from Bella. But as much as he hates her, in the text, you see that he likes her at the same time. It becomes, instead of the cool, calming presence that he normally is in his mundane life, he acts rashly and acts in a way that would not be good for their family. And it's this mundane life that he is trying to hang on to by leaving, by holding back, by doing all the things that he is trying to do in the first sight chapter. But that mundane life is, as in most of these stories, is going to be put to the test. And that test is already put forward by the end of the chapter. And Alice sees it. 
that recognition is a um, that recognition of what what Edward really can do and is going to do unless something changes uh, is a perfect insight into that relationship. When she says, we'll miss you, they honestly will. And you, at the end of this chapter, are left wondering, what is, what is Edward going to do? So as a work unto its own, and again, I, I think I'm going to approach this as a work unto its own. Uh, as a work unto its own, I am not only hooked by the idea of vampires and um, and how their world exists, how they've maintained their world, where did they come from, how, why has it been so long, uh, how are they standing within these communities, how is Esme being invited to other people's birthday parties or what a garden parties, whatever the hell it was, how is... Uh, why is Jasper the way that he is? How how does the family dynamic work? How is Carlisle the, the uh, an adoptive father? Um, you know, we already know that Carlisle is is a vampire himself too. But like, what about him makes him this kind of father figure to, to, for Edward? Um, the hook is there, absolutely. And there isn't quite yet the um, emotional uh, connection quite yet. But we have a basic understanding of the relationships. We understand how the, the, we, we have a fundamental guideline of uh, the establishment of the establishment um, of the family dynamic uh, with, within the Cullen family. And uh, it, it's a fun little intriguing bit here with Edward and seeing how everybody reacts to them, how everybody's kind of scared of them uh, and how he is already privy to all of their thoughts. And there's another hook in that Bella, he can't hear her thoughts. Why can he not hear her thoughts? What is the, what is blocking him from hearing her thoughts? Um, this is all quite interesting stuff, and it's coming from his perspective, obviously. So, by itself, Midnight Sun, I'm kind of in. I wonder, will Midnight Sun, like... Honestly, writing this book must have been extremely difficult. Um, and you wouldn't think that it would be because she's already read, she's already written Twilight, Stephanie Meyer. But as a writer, you have your own, it's like writing Outlander from Frank's perspective, right? Or it's like, or, or better yet, it's like writing Outlander from Jamie's perspective. Now, I know that there are some times when, um, Jamie's perspective is on display. But, you know, Diana is so in tune with the Claire's character that it would be hard to imagine her 
writing J from Jamie's perspective. And the same thing has to go with Stephanie Meyer. It must be hard to write from Edward's perspective because she was so Stephanie Meyer, so in on Bella's, Bella's point of view that you have to fundamentally change how you write because you're writing an entirely different person. Now, I did talk about the exclamation points and how they piss me off, and that, that is obviously a carryover from Twilight. That, is, I think, is just a fundamental, um, foundational aspect of her writing style. Uh, and it is funny going from Diana to Stephanie, Mayer, to Stephanie Meyer. It is a funny transition. Um, but, and, it, and especially going from Diana to J.K. Rowling to, to, now, to now Stephanie Meyer. Definitely a weird transition, um, just because J.K. Rowling is just she is just such a, and I and I hate to say this, but she's just like such a a perfect writer in so many ways. So to go from reading her to Stephanie Meyer is, it's funny, uh, to say the least. Uh, and it's like it's like, <laughs> it's so funny. It's like going from having a really intelligent conversation with somebody to having a conversation with like a millennial's kid. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Uh, like, I don't know how to explain it like that. Other than that. Um, at any rate. Yeah, I... Writing it from Edward's perspective and changing how you fundamentally consider things and write things is very difficult. And I do wonder if she will... Like, you have to take the dialogue from the book, from Twilight, and apply it to Midnight Sun. But it's a different language with Midnight Sun. It would be like saying, let's take... Um, let's take Macbeth but write it from Lady, Mac Lady Macbeth's perspective and not only do that but let's put it in Greek right um, that's what it feels like to me um, and I applaud Stephanie Meyer for doing this I think a lot of people are saying oh my god she's got to go back to that well and you know it's been how many years and she's probably running out of money and all that and I, listen, I, I think those are all unfair criticisms. I, I think when you have a story in your heart and you are so fully connected to it that you, there are things within you that need to come out. And if she felt so inclined to write a book from Edward's perspective, then it, I, I think it's fair. I, I think it's it, I think it's fair game to to read and discuss and analyze on its own again which is the spirit of Blake's book club for Midnight Sun does Midnight Sun stand on its own as a work does it need Twilight to exist that is the point of Blake's book club for this story and my my experience with the first chapter is while I do know the outcome of what's going to happen Midnight Sun offers me a perspective, in, in Edward's case, that allows me to see more of him. It amplifies his character in a way that I did not expect. Now, 
does Edward talk about the monster or whatever uh, it, in, in other books? Maybe. Probably. I, but here's the thing. I don't remember. And if I don't remember, it, to me, that doesn't scream that it was that important in the original series. But if I already know this monster in the first chapter, and it's such a vital element to how Edward reacts and interacts with this, with Bella and everybody else, that means it's important and it needs to be analyzed and discussed. You know, as Edward was talking about Bella and how he it was so, like he was trying to not breathe, like he he, he didn't need air, uh, and he was trying to resist her. Like all I kept thinking, <laughs> all I kept thinking was me eating Ben and Jerry's chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. <laughs> it's like you convince yourself ways that it would be okay to do so. You find excuses to do it and you plan ways around it. <laughs> like I could do this and I could do that and I could hide it so that my wife doesn't see it. So she doesn't know that I'm eating the ice cream and, but you know, it's okay. And if I'm going to do it, I might as well just keep going. Um, that's how I felt while reading that. And as funny as that is, and as unrelatable as being a vampire is and sucking someone's blood uh, or going to their house and stalking them to prepare for a kill, uh, you can relate to the idea of eating chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. And you understand what that feels like. And you understand the battle. Like, let's, like, let's say if you're on Weight Watchers, you guys know what it's like. You know what it's like to be like, oh, man, I want that, but I know I can't have it. Like, I could, I could go have some kale. I could, I could eat all the kale in the world, but it ain't going to work. I mean, it will work because I won't be hungry, but that chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream is looking pretty damn good right now. And you salivate at the thought of it, and you, uh, you find ways to, to convince yourself to either do it or not do it, and you give yourself excuses. And uh, yeah, it's really funny. So uh, as I was reading, I was laughing to myself, thinking about chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, which is pretty funny. Uh. uh at any rate, we are already at 34 minutes, uh, 34 minutes and 20 seconds for this, uh, for this first chapter. Uh, I don't intend on any of these uh, recordings, as you guys are well aware from the Outlander ones. Usually I go between 10 to 18 minutes or so for, for, for each chapter. But I mean, this is a celebration of Midnight Sun and, and getting back into that world and getting back into the Twilight universe. Uh, it's a special universe, you know, regardless of whatever, um, however pop culture looks back on it and regardless of however uh, it ages, uh, it fun Twi Twilight fundamentally changed the like the young adult novels uh, in a way that like the Hunger Games did. But I think Twilight did so even more. Uh, than the Hunger Games. And I would also say, like, like there was Harry Potter, you know, for, like, my age and younger. Uh, well, I, I was in college 
when Harry Potter came out. So I really can't say. I I feel like like the generation after mine, like that when I was twenty five, and there were people that were like ten and fifteen, they were or ten to fifteen, they were like really into Twilight. Like that's their version of Harry Potter. So what Harry Potter is to me, uh, that would be Twilight would be to that age. What I'm getting at is it's, it has cultural significance. Twilight does, and it is worthy of our remark. It is worthy of our analyses and looking at it from, uh, looking at Twilight and Midnight Sun from an analytical point of view and from trying to discover uh, what its merits are is worthy of our time. It's worthy of your time. It's worthy of Blake's book club. So, um, so that's that. I would say that the book starts off in a place that keeps me engaged and um, in, in a place of curiosity. Uh, and I enjoy how Stephanie Meyer can go off. And I, I hearken back to what Mary says, how Stephanie Meyer writes butterflies. She does have a gift for getting you involved. She has a gift for setting scene and conveying feeling. Um, much in the way that you know, George R. R. Martin has a gift for um, writing character detail, uh, or how um, Diana Gabaldon has a gift for setting a physical scene, um, uh, or how J.K. Rowling has a gift for uh, giving you characterization without having to tell you characterization. Stephanie Myers is setting setting up feeling and that's what matters most right if you read this and you feel that's good that is great and i felt i felt the battle i felt that 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 urge for i understood the urge especially when he when he called everybody collateral damage these people were dead already and they didn't even know it It is a little maudlin. <laughs> uh, it is a little angsty. But when, she, I mean, I gotta, I gotta go back and read it because it was, it was so great. I, I, bear with me as I, as I find it. I, I apologize. Hold on one second. Because it was just so well written. Um. And like, as I'm flipping through these pages. Um, like we're already introduced to like Angela and and Jessica and Mike Newton. We, we already get a sense of who they are. Like it's it's great. Um, uh, uh, like how Jessica is so worried about what Mike Newton thinks and all, and how she's so jealous of the new girl. And like, oh my God, it was it was awesome. All right, so um, oh man, where is it? I gotta find this. I have to find this. This is... Um, oh, my God. Come on. Where is it? 
Okay, yes, here it is. Bella Swan walked into the flow of heated air that blew toward me from the vent. Her scent hit me like a battering ram, like an exploding grenade. There was no image violent enough to encompass the force of what happened to me in that moment. Instantly, I was transformed. I was nothing close to the human I'd once been. No trace of the shreds of humanity I'd managed to cloak myself in over the years remained. I was a predator. She was my prey. There was nothing else in this whole world but that truth. There was room... There was no room full of witnesses. They were allegedly collateral. They were already collateral damage in my mind. The mystery of her thoughts was forgotten. Her thoughts meant nothing, for she would not go on thinking them much longer. I was a vampire, and she was the sweetest blood I'd smelled in more than 80 years. Oh, my God. I just love that line. I love that line. There was no room full of witnesses. There were already collateral damage in my mind. How great is that? They're just dead already. They're just dead, and they don't even know it. And then, like, he goes on to, you know, talk about how he was planning on snapping next, and, and like... <laughs> Oh, man, it was great. Oh, awesome stuff. Awesome. Oh, and here's another great one, too. For one short second, I was able to think clearly. In that precious instant, I saw two faces in my head side by side. One was mine, or rather had been, the red-eyed monster that had killed so many people that I'd stopped counting. Rationalized, justified murders... I'd been a killer of killers, a killer of other, less powerful monsters. It was a god complex. I acknowledged that, deciding who deserved a death sentence. It was a compromise with myself. I had fed on human blood, but only by the loosest definition. My victims were, in their various dark times, barely more human than I was. And the other face was Carlyle's. There was no resemblance between the two faces. They were bright day and blackest night. There was no reason for a resemblance to exist. Carlyle was not my father in the basic biological sense. We had shared no common features. The similarity in our coloring was a product of what we were. Every vampire was corpse pale. The similarity in color of our eyes was another matter, a reflection of mutual choice. And you see a development here of Edward, that he thinks that he could be like Carlyle, that he could live on like Carlyle, that, that because of the choices he's made over the years, his face, his goal is Carlyle. His goal is to have this sort of simple, carefree, loving, warm existence. But it's his one... His one, his one issue is Bella. <laughs> oh man, ah, good stuff. And it's the one thing that, oh man, it's the one thing that she is that he wants most, is what makes him pain most. And you know that that of course is indicative of, um, of. The things that you love, I suppose. Oh, my God, I love this, too. 
My hand gripped under the edge of the table as I tried to hold myself in my chair. The wood was not up to the task. My hand crushed through the strut and came away with a palm full of splintered pulp, leaving the shape of my fingers carved into the remaining wood. Destroy evidence. That was a fundamental rule. I quickly pulverized the edge of the shapes of my fingertips, leaving nothing but a ragged hole and a pile of shavings on the floor, which I scattered with my foot. Destroy evidence. Collateral damage. I knew what had to happen now. The girl would have to come sit beside me, and I would have to kill her. <laughs> oh, the innocent bystanders in this classroom, 18 other children and one man, could not be allowed to leave, having seen what they would soon see. Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Like, like legitimately, um, having this moment with, with Edward uh, is a great hook. Um, and wondering whether or not he will be able to fulfill it. Uh, and will that stasis, will that mode of stasis be interrupted by um, him killing this girl, killing all of the people, leaving? How will he handle this? And will he let down Carlisle? That battle with him and Carlisle and his monster is what keeps this book, you can see it. This is the, the emotional through line for the book, and it helps enlighten that relationship. So we will continue to watch that going forward. So that is that for now. Uh, now I'm at 45.08, so we will stop it right now. Thank you guys for listening. This is the first chapter of which there will be plenty more. From what I can see, there are over 650 pages in this in this book. So you will be with me for quite some time as we read this. So again, thank you so much. I hope you liked it. If you did not, Please tell me why you think it sucked, and I am happy to change it. Uh, so that's that. Until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you next chapter.